Chapter Thirteen of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Sir Francis Rose. Jim went to dine at the Voyagers' Club one evening. He never dined at home. In Clarges Street lodgings, they do not count on single young men dining at home. The season had not quite arrived for Jim or anybody else to be much invited out to dine, and so he was very glad of the Voyagers' Club. There were not many people in the dining-room when he went in, but he went in rather early, for he intended to see something at a theatre that night, and seeing anything at a theatre meant an early dinner, and Jim had not yet grown old enough to be much put out by an early dinner. So he settled down to his table, and he looked over the bill of fare, and he did not seem to care what he had to eat, but he chose, with an air of interest that ought to have impressed any ordinary waiter, some oysters and a soup and a grill and that sort of thing, and then he felt relieved. He was still in that time of youth when a man thinks that he ought not to let the club waiters know that he cares little or nothing about the actual materials of his dinner. Suddenly he heard a vigorous voice that he knew. At a table near to him two newcomers were sitting down. Looking up, he saw Mr. Whaley and a man who was unknown to him, a youngish-looking man with a pince-nez and a pale, handsome face. The moment he looked up, his eyes met the eyes of Mr. Whaley and found in them an instant and a gladsome recognition. "'Now I call this a most remarkable meeting,' Mr. Whaley exclaimed in his cheery way. "'You are the two chaps—the two men, I mean—that I most particularly wanted to bring together. And so here we are, don't you know. Mr. Conrad, I want to introduce to you my friend and fellow North Countryman, Sir Francis Rose.' "'Sir Francis Rose?' Jim had often heard the name in his earlier days. It was the name of a younger son of a great Northumbrian family who had had a very stormy youth, and wandered through many countries, and was supposed to have been engaged in various extraordinary enterprises, and Jim had vaguely heard of late that the prodigal had returned to England, having, by an utterly unexpected series or succession of deaths, become the heir to the title and the estate. If he had had time to think of the matter, Jim would have expected to see a man of Herculean proportions and daredevil appearance. He saw, however, a slender man, not much above the middle height, with a pale, handsome face and deep, dark eyes, whose light was dimmed by a pince-nez, with close, delicate, decisive lips, opening to show white teeth, a man quietly but fashionably dressed a man with a somewhat melancholy and outworn expression, a man apparently about forty years of age, or a little more, perhaps. "'How early he must have gone into life!' was almost the first thought that came into Jim's mind. "'Why, I used to hear of his extraordinary doings when I was only a child!' All this passed through Jim's consciousness in a single flash of enlightenment, the introduction was satisfactorily accomplished, and Sir Francis Rose and Jim Conrad shook hands. "'Now, look here,' Mr. Whaley said, beaming with delight. 
Are you beginning dinner, or are you nearly through, as they say in America? I am only just beginning, Jim said, to whom alone the question could have been addressed. Then why shouldn't we three dine together? Whaley urged. I have been particularly wanting you two to meet, and now, you see, Providence in its particularly kindly way arranges for the meeting. I shall be only too glad, Jim said frankly. I was just sitting down to a lonely dinner, and I shall be delighted to have good company. I am sure it is only too kind of you, Mr. Conrad, Sir Francis Rose said in a sweet, clear voice. I always felt sure I should meet you somewhere, and my friend Whaley often talked to me of you. I am so glad that Whaley and I are lucky enough to have the chance of dining with you so soon, and I am not sorry to say in this unexpected sort of way. Whaley bustled about to give orders for the combination of the dinners. Jim noticed at a glance that the business of making arrangements fell to the part of Whaley, although he did not understand that Whaley was a member of the club, and he understood that Sir Francis Rose was. The waiters, having received Mr. Whaley's instructions, looked to Sir Francis, and Sir Francis simply nodded his assent. The arrangements were made, and the three were dining together. Jim had been thinking of a pint of claret for himself, but Mr. Whaley had already commanded champagne all round. "'I am glad to have the chance of making your acquaintance, Mr. Conrad,' Sir Francis said, in his singularly sweet voice, a voice the tones of which seemed to caress the ear. "'I am glad, because you are a North Country man like myself. I know your name quite well, of course.' and I know something about your family, and I am glad, too, because my friend Whaley has been telling me about you. "'I am very much pleased to meet you, Sir Francis,' Jim said. "'I need hardly tell you that I have often heard your name up in the North Country.' "'And not mentioned with absolute commendation, I dare say,' Sir Francis observed with a quiet smile. I know quite well that for a long time the sound of my name was a sound of fear to most of my friends, and I dare say to all of my family. People hadn't got accustomed in those days to young men striking out a path for themselves, and became quite shocked if the country squire's son was audacious enough to make money in a new way in a money-making world. Well, I have now become the country squire myself but I am not quite certain whether I shall be able to settle down to country squiredom for the rest of my life. He spoke carelessly, as if it did not much matter either way. Not while Albert Edward Whaley is at your elbow to drive you along, his friend and admirer said with animation. It was curious and interesting to note, as Jim thought, how Mr. Whaley gazed upon his chief with eyes in which delight and admiration beamed or rather blazed. Jim's heart went out to Whaley merely because of his undisguised devotion. "'I don't care,' he said to himself, "'what they have done or what they are doing. I like that poor chap because of his honest devotion to his chief.' "'You were thinking of going abroad, Mr. Conrad. I mean somewhere quite off the beaten track. So our friend Whaley has been telling me lately.' "'Yes, I want to go somewhere, for a time at least. I want to get fresh ideas, new material, 
I want to write books and things. Something has gone wrong, Rose said, with a melancholy and very sympathetic smile. Yes, I could see that in your face. Something goes wrong with most men and drives them into adventure. It is good for them in the end. If something had not gone wrong with me when I was, well, yes, somewhere about your age, I should probably have remained in England and led a respectable life, and been unspeakably dull and bored, bored and boring. I could never have been the social outlaw of five continents. I don't know that I have had any particular ambition in that way, Jim answered smilingly. But I do want to knock about a little and see other worlds than those I have seen already. Take care, Sir Francis said gravely. Remember, if you begin, you will probably have to go on. The thirst will come in drinking. I have almost always found that if you start by wanting novelties, you will finish by wanting novelties, and will die, perhaps, in trying to get them. Well... Jim answered composedly, "'A man can but dree his weird.' "'I don't think I know the meaning of that,' Whaley interposed. "'It is not necessary that you should, my dear Whaley,' Rose said, with the gentle tone of one who seeks to quieten a too-questioning child. "'You don't want to know everything, do you, and to leave nothing to Mr. Conrad and me?' "'Oh, you both know a lot more than I do.' "'But if it's anything improper—which it certainly is not,' said Jim. "'Probably, if it was, I should know something about it,' Mr. Whaley said in a contented sort of tone. "'I suppose it's poetry of some sort, and I never could make anything of poetry. But I like a sensation.' "'He does, Mr. Conrad,' the chief observed. I never yet saw the sensational encounter or crisis of any kind that could put Albert Whaley out. Whaley smiled delightedly at this commendation. A man must be good for something, he pleaded in modest self-depreciation. And if I was to be easily frightened, why, then, don't you know, I shouldn't be good for anything in this world. Chaps like you and Mr. Conrad have lots to spare, but chaps like me haven't, and that's where it is. "'Mr. Whaley is a good deal of a philosopher,' Jim said. "'I saw that in him on our very first acquaintance.' "'What you see in him, you'll see in him to the end,' Sir Francis said. "'That's so,' Mr. Whaley briefly affirmed. He had picked up a good deal of American phraseology in America. "'I have not been to this club for a long time until lately,' Rose said. I used to be fond of it in my earlier London days, but of late I have not been so much about London, and then I fancy I should be a very unpopular personage at most of my clubs if I had the extreme unwisdom to go to any of them very often. Do you know that I used to be rather proud of saying when I was younger, and more defiant of the world's laws, that I could get any candidate blackballed at any club I belonged to? "'How could you do that?' Jim asked, somewhat simply. "'How, my dear boy? You are useful, to be sure. Why, of course, by proposing or seconding him?' Jim saw that he had missed a point and allowed his languid friend to entrap him in a certain sense. 
"'Yes, I was very unpopular then,' Sir Francis went on, "'and, you know, I rather enjoyed it. "'Now I don't, at least I don't think so. "'I am not young any more. "'I don't quite know whether I would be young again if I could. "'But anyhow, I am not young, "'and I don't take the same joy in strife that I once did. "'Do you know that I have sometimes had, "'for all my friend Whaley may say, "'an idea of settling down into the life of a quiet country squire?' and seeing how that would suit me. If I really felt an inclination that way, I would follow it out whithersoever it might lead me. "'I shall never have the chance of trying it,' said Jim, "'and,' he added decisively, "'I don't care.' "'Well, I like your plucky way of looking at things. Don't care is good enough for most affairs in life. I think I might say it has been my motto always.' "'But somehow I should have thought you had more of what is called earnestness and principle, yes, principle, in you. I should have thought you would want to know what you ought to do.' "'Yes, I should like to know what I ought to do,' Jim said doggedly, as if he were maintaining some truth which for the moment he felt rather ashamed of admitting. "'I thought so.' "'Do you know that I feel inclined to envy you?' "'To envy me? Yes. Why?' "'Because I sometimes think it must be a relief to the mind "'to have that kind of moral compass to steer by. "'Yes, I have sometimes thought that. "'I never had any feeling of the kind myself. "'I always thought that it was quite as free to me to steer one course as another.' "'and so I always followed my own fancy.' "'Most men do, I am afraid,' Jim said, "'not knowing exactly what he ought to say. "'Yes, most men do, perhaps. "'But I am told that they have heart struggles "'and conscience struggles and all that sort of thing. "'Now, I have never felt anything of the kind. "'No, never once.' I have made my own sensations and my own inclinations my guide, and have followed them wherever they chose to carry me, and they have carried me fairly well so far. I have knocked a great deal of enjoyment out of life. I have been in all manner of queer adventures and out-of-the-way places. Why, I remember when I was once caught and carried off by a lioness in South Africa. "'and he stopped and began apparently to think it all over again. "'Yes,' Jim stimulated him, much interested. "'A lioness in South Africa?' "'Well, let me see. Of course, that lioness in South Africa. "'Look here, she had for the moment frightened away some of my friends, "'and the lioness took me up in her mouth and trotted away with me, "'as easily as a cat might carry off a mouse.' Her jaws bit into me, and I soon fainted with pain and loss of blood. But as long as I had any consciousness left, I only felt that I was going through a new sensation. That and nothing more, I do assure you. Please don't think I am bragging about my courage. It wasn't a question of courage. Many a man of ten times my courage in the face of danger would have felt quite differently. "'I think I understand,' 
Jim said quietly. He felt that he did understand. You see, another man, and a better man, and a braver man, might have thought nothing of that vulgar joy in mere novelty of sensation. It's merely vulgar, I know it. While the lioness was carrying him off, the better and braver man would have been thinking of his wife and his children away in England, and how they would feel when they read the completed story of his trip with the lioness, and he wouldn't have enjoyed the whole adventure. I had no children to think of, and not much else to think of at that time, and so I was able to appreciate the sensation. You have no idea how curiously it all felt. "'I am sure I should have been horribly afraid,' said Jim, in the profoundest sincerity. "'No doubt you would. Of course you would,' Rose replied placidly. "'Any very young man would. "'You see, a young man has so much to live for, and so much to look forward to, "'so many lives to enjoy, in fact. "'and he naturally doesn't want to have all his prospects "'cut off by the bite of a villainous old cat of a lioness. "'But I had gone through the best part of my life, "'and had enjoyed all the familiar and what I may call the routine sensations. "'So I had a certain kind of enjoyment in the new sensation "'of being carried off by a lioness. "'Not that I was not very glad when I recovered my senses,' for, as I told you, I fainted off quite soon, to find that I was among my friends again, and that I was alive, and it was the lioness who was dead. I was glad to live to have some other new sensations even yet. Well, Jim said, you have plenty of time still before you for all manner of new sensations. Ah, well, I'm getting on in years, although I can't say that I feel the pull just yet. "'But the pull will come, and very soon, no doubt. "'Then there will be the sensation of growing old,' Jim said with a smile. "'That will be something new, and something, I hope, to be enjoyed on your comprehensive principle.' "'Ah, yes, the art of being a grandfather, as Victor Hugo describes it. "'That might count for something.' "'But then I can't be a grandfather because I have not been a father.' Jim suddenly remembered what Whaley had told him about the chief's unhappy marriage, and did not follow father out on that branch of the conversation. There was silence for a moment, and then Rose began again. "'You are staying in town for some time, are you not, Mr. Conrad?' he asked of Jim. "'Oh, yes,' "'I am staying in town for some time, I think. "'I am not quite certain about my movements. "'But just at present nothing actually beckons me out of town.' "'Ah, I see,' Rose said with his quiet smile. "'Jim did not quite see what it was that Rose saw, "'but he did not think it necessary to make any inquiry, "'and so that matter too dropped.' Jim had got it into his mind that Sir Francis regarded him, somehow, as the victim of a love-lorn passion, and it is a curious thing how few young men care to be regarded in that sort of light. Young men in general may fan and feed on the disappointed passion all to themselves, 
but they do not want elder and more experienced men to spy it out at once and tacitly to condole with them upon it well i hope we shall meet often i have an enterprise in my mind that may come to something and if you want a change of scene for any reason for any reason you can have a chance of it if you will thanks said jim bluntly we shall meet again we are sure to meet again rose said sweetly and then the little company broke up rose and his henchman went one way jim went another jim was undoubtedly much impressed by his new acquaintance he was in a manner fascinated by sir francis rose in the first instance he was a good deal surprised from all that he had vaguely heard and even more vaguely remembered of the northumbrian wanderer he had formed the idea of a man of commanding presence and self-asserting manner a picture of what might be called a young lady's pirate if young ladies cared anything about pirates in these days of introspection and problems of sex again when he heard from waley of his all-accomplished all-commanding unnamed chief he had also made up his mind to the idea of some strong and strenuous figure he smiled at his own absurdity surely he thought to himself i might have known that a man is always the very opposite of what you expect him to be the wild revolutionist of the platform is a meek domestic little man in private rather apt to be afraid of his wife the advocate of peace at any price is a burly dogmatic giant and so on i might have known i am afraid i shall not very soon master the novel-writing trade to which i am trying to apprentice myself after all this surprise however came a certain distrust jim was inclined to shrink from the sort of fascination or mastery that even already rose was beginning to exercise over him there seemed something uncanny if one might put it so about his outworn melancholy and his avowed craving for the perpetual stimulant of new sensation had he any scruples had he any principles no doubt he had the ordinary code of honour which every man brought up as an english gentleman professes to adopt he doubtless would not cheat at cards or at billiards but he would probably without the smallest reluctance or hesitation win the money of men who could not play as well as he could yes but did not all men do that conrad asked himself sir francis rose had certainly taken some pains if he were a man who could be said to take pains about anything to impress him with the fact that everything he did was done upon the square as mr waley would probably have put it and assuredly no rumours had ever reached jim's ears at all to the discredit of the roving northumbrian in that way still it was not all this which puzzled jim so much as sir francis rose himself and his tone and his frank admission that he lived only for new sensations and surprises and at the same time the kindly way in which he every now and then stopped to warn jim against being led to follow his example it was plain to jim that sir francis felt a certain interest in him perhaps a sort of local interest in him 
but did not think him by any means a capture sufficiently important in the adventuring way to take any particular trouble about he seemed to regard jim as one might regard a bright and plucky schoolboy and nothing more if jim had been just a little more introspective he might have come on the self-discovery that he was only made the more eager to share in one of Rose's enterprises by the very warnings which Sir Francis gave to young men not to set their hearts too much on new sensations. For although he certainly felt fascinated in one sense, Jim felt a little irritated too. There was the immemorial irritation of the young man against the man who, not yet old or nearly old seems to have had such a varied experience of life and makes much of it and blandly patronizes the younger man for whom all that is as yet only a possibility and for whom perhaps it is never to come jim was annoyed in a curious way at the superior sort of manner in which sir francis rose seemed to take it on himself to assume what jim's troubles were and to suggest the best remedy for them it was the manner of a man who wished to say i have drained all life's sensations to the dregs and you poor youth have hardly taken the first sip of them and will never i venture to think drink anything like so deep down in the cup as i have done therefore jim as he walked home that night was perhaps conscious above all other things of a desire to let Sir Francis Rose know that he, too, Jim Conrad of the Northumbrian Conrads, had an adventurous spirit and a daring heart, and that to him adventures would come easy. He was almost morbidly anxious to meet Sir Francis Rose again. As he walked homeward, his thoughts, however, began to arrange themselves in more artificial order. I might make copy out of it he said to himself there might be the idea of a rattling good story got out of it if he were to give me a chance of an adventure so he beguiled his mind End of chapter thirteen